Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host as always, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. Hopefully you get something out of it. Again, some of them educational, some are just topics that I like to talk about, but again, you always got to have a good mix in there. Uh, and uh, I do want to thank everybody, the emails that I get, the messages that I get from people, uh, thousands of them a year, you know, appreciating these podcasts and the videos that I do. You know what? It means a lot, and you're the reason I do them. Uh, and uh, hopefully if you learn something out of them, great. That's what it's all about. All right? So today's episode, I've been asked to talk about the differences between copper and aluminum. Uh, there's still a lot of people that don't really understand the in-depth difference between the two, where you might use one versus the other. And again, are they very similar when it comes to terminations? Uh, We have all these things in 110.14d when it comes to torquing. All of these things, when when it's considered, um, we we, we talk many times about the oxidation on aluminum, but very rarely ever talk about it on copper, Um, how we prepare aluminum versus copper. And so, my background kind of comes from dealing in it intimately for over five years uh, from a manufacturer's perspective who make both copper and aluminum products. But again, it dates earlier than that as the NEMA rep where I traveled around the country and, and, and worked for most all of the manufacturers on different issues. I spoke uh, extensively on the topic of aluminum as well as copper. Um, and I'm in the circles with the individuals that are in the know. Uh, again, I'm also uh, the representative member uh, for the Aluminum Association as well as the Copper Association, so our Copper Development Association, I should say. So as you can see, I, I kind of am involved in it, not only from a master electrician putting my hands on these products for years, terminating them and working with them, uh, but also from the higher end where um actually sitting on technical committees and representing those associations on code-making panels. Um, a, a broader understanding of how these products are used. And you know what? As much as the, each association would like to, to, to put down the other, um, you know what? Uh, it's the same people in one association that represent the other. So we all play nicely together. We all understand that there is applications where copper is used that you can't use aluminum. And there are applications where aluminum would be beneficial to use where you just might not want to use copper. Um, you just have to know the nuances. You have to know the limitations of each product. And of course, copper has been around forever, right? So all the way back in 1913, when you had the International Annealed Copper Standard, the IACS, was adopted. Okay, And its whole concept was to compare the conductivity of other materials to copper. So we could come up with some information in that comparison. And of course, according to that standard, commercially pure annealed copper has a conductivity of 100% of the IACS data. Okay, so commercially pure copper, okay, 
uh, is uh, a copper that is dealing with a high level of purity. Most of the copper done in the electrical industry today is 99.99 whatever percent pure. Uh, we have what's called electrolytic tough pitch copper, which is what we produce. And then you have what's called refined copper, which is where it sometimes can have impurities in it that get slagged down and you continue down until you refine it to a high level of purity. Uh, however, your company's choice is, again, uh, the company I work for it really focuses on ETP, electrolytic tough pitch, uh, as a purest form of copper. It doesn't really matter. Most of what you find today in the electrical industry, which is being used uh, for conductors, is going to be uh, a high grade of pure annealed copper. Uh, and so one of the things that we, we understand with copper is that it has to go through a lot of testing stages. Now, we all conform to what's called the ASTM standards, uh, and that is... A, a standard where it creates a specification for the soft and annealed copper. Usually it's called ASTM B3. And we all conform to it. Um, those of us manufacture annealed copper. Uh, obviously we anneal it to, to apply pliability to that copper. Otherwise it would be pretty brittle. Um, and we also take into consideration the tensile strength, the thermal conductivity, and the thermal expansion properties of all of these products. Now, copper has been extensively studied now for a long time. It is probably the most common used metal when it comes to conductive components. Now, with the exception of silver, for example, copper is the most commonly conductive uh, metal that is used in electrical wiring. All right? So that's why you're not going to find... Uh, silver being used. Now, I do know some manufacturers out there. Again, I used to be uh, one of the very the first actual trainer for the ECCN. That's the Eaton Certified Contractor Network. I was the trainer that went around the country for that program or the original trainer for that program. And we used to explain to people that we would do silver-coated terminals uh, because silver was very highly conductive and of course you could have copper terminals as well but you know one of the, our our sticks was that you actually would have the aluminum the uh, silver coated terminals okay and that was a benefit because it did reduce contact resistance and all that blah 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 uh, but copper is again what's used mainly in the industry uh, until we had the advent of good old uh, aluminum so we're going to kind of look at the differences, but when you think about it, just let's talk about some upfront stuff versus, and then we'll get into applications, uh, when you should choose one or the other. Now, we're all familiar with copper, very good conductive branch circuits. Uh, we know that healthcare facilities, when you're dealing with the branch circuits and patient care areas, that they definitely want it to be copper. Uh, they doesn't allow aluminum. Uh, one thing that people don't realize is that the National Electrical Code does allow aluminum smaller conductors like a 12 gauge 10 gauge but nobody really produces it okay none of us are gonna gonna make it a lot of that stems from all the way back in the the mid 60s to the early 70s where you had some issues where aa 1350 that's just an aluminum alloy that's typically used in the universe um in uh, utility uh, applications because it really has a good tensile strength but it really didn't have good ductile strength and that is it didn't flex very well it would become brittle uh, and snap very easy um, so the advent of those 60s and 70s due to the price hike in copper at that time they wanted to find an alternative means and we knew we were using this 1350 out for utility applications so what happens is it migrated into the building wiring aspect and people started using the 1350 for that and it didn't take long to realize that 
while it really wasn't a problem in the uh, the circuit conductors itself, it rapidly became a very big problem when it came to terminations. Um, because the expansion and contraction principles or practices or, or fundamentals, if you will, of that product um, really was drastic. Also, you got to remember during that time, they also changed the terminals that were involved in these terminations and they went to steel. And steel also has a varying uh, expansion and contraction, uh, a coefficient of thermal expansion and contraction that it was differing from the aluminum. Of course, it also differed from copper as well. So because of these two dynamic changes of expansion and contraction, you started to have problems at the terminations. And you would, and of course, nobody knew what torquing was, right? And because of this thing we called creep at the time with that 1350 was a problem, um, you know, and of course, the minimum of aluminum content with the AA1350 at that time was 99.5%. So um, you had this problem uh, at those terminations, but it was becoming very popular to use that aluminum for household wiring. Um, and it still is today with the what we call the 8000 series aluminum. So I kind of give you a background on that. So once we started having these problems in the late 60s and the early 70s, um, UL and other testing got together and said, look, we got to change this. We really do have to migrate away from the use of 1350 inside of a building. So now I can still use it outside of the building, like a URD, outside utility aspects of it. 1350 is still used today. Um, but once you come into the building, it really needs to be a more modern alloy, which is the 8000 series, which is still very ductile at this point, still has a good um, tensile strength as well. In fact, the AA8000, again, AA being aluminum alloy, okay, is... It, it has the properties for when it comes to creep and elongation due to temperature changes and how you torque it and the compaction and compression onto that conductor are very similar to copper, okay? Not totally 100% identical, but enough so that if you follow the rules for torquing and you prepare the termination properly, then for most all intents and purposes, you're not going to see a difference uh, between the two. Now, I know that the copper folks hate that. I know that the aluminum folks love that. Um, and there's certainly some things that I might say when it comes to uh, copper that the aluminum folks will just love and you know, vice versa. But again, we're talking about electrical practicality here. Okay, from me as an electrician, whether I want to use aluminum versus copper. And they each have their own benefits. Okay, And so we're going to talk about it from that. And when it comes to higher costs of copper, you do have to look at the alternative for aluminum. Okay, It's the red herring in the room. It's the elephant in the room. It is definitely an alternative. And today with the AA8000 series, and of course the National Electrical Code in Article 310 started requiring the aspect of AA8000 to be used, then uh, the AA8000 the AA series aluminum alloy for electrical purposes uh, really started to take hold. And now in the code, if you do want to use aluminum in a building, it's got to be AA8000. Now, Let's talk again a little bit about some of the comparisons before I get into applications. 
um, when you would want to compare the two. So we need to cover some some basic comparisons between the aluminum versus copper. And we're purely at this point going to talk 8000 series because we're talking building wiring. Now what I'm talking is feeder conductors. I'm talking service conductors, um, remote distribution panel, the feeders that go when we're dealing with aluminum versus copper. Uh, we're going to use an example and we're going to keep it at 60 uh, 60 amperes at 75 degrees C we're going to keep all those things consistent so typically for the 60 ampere application at 75 degrees C and of course you can go look at the impacity values in 31015 to B16 to see that we're accurate here um, if I want to deal with 60 amperes I'm going to need a 6 gauge AWG American wire gauge the old brown and sharp uh, method years and years and years ago um, and it's basically we take a certain size rod, we extrude it into a system, and we draw it down through a various amount of dies down to the certain size that we want, and that's called American wire gauge. And that process is literally drawing that wire out or, or extruding that wire, or I guess you should say stretching that wire out through these series of dies in order to get us down to uh, the size that we want and the gauge that we want. And that's just kind of the concept is American wire gauge. And so... 8,000 series aluminum for 60 amperes, we would have a 6 gauge. Well, in copper, it would be an 8 gauge would carry the same amount of current. Now, yes, what does that mean? Then that aluminum conductor is going to be slightly larger, correct? Yeah. And, of course, when we get to 8 gauge and larger, typically when we're dealing with circuit conductors, they're, they're going to be stranded conductors, okay? Uh, and um, so when we look at that, we're thinking, why on earth... Would I want to run a 6-gauge aluminum when I could run an 8, which has a smaller footprint, which means possibly smaller raceways? Well, one of the things that the industry has migrated to is that typically you have three different type of strandings we've got for the general purpose. We're talking about concentric, we're talking about compressed, and we're talking about compact. Now, the general differences in those is that when you got the, the concentric, uh, which has to do with a certain length of lay and the direction of lay uh, in the stranding, you'll have little openings between each one of the actual uh, strands. And those little openings take up space. Okay, and You have the same for the copper and the same for the aluminum when you're dealing with that concentric lay. Uh, but what happens is, if you go to what's called a compressed, then when you get to compressed, basically it goes through a forming die and it actually compresses those strands and deforms them and you reduce a little bit of the actual openings between each one of the strands. Okay, Well, you can do that for both copper and aluminum, but most people don't do that for copper. Okay, It just, they do it for aluminum. Okay, um, Not to say that most of us don't also produce a compressed copper, because most of us do, uh, and it's just the nature of production. Okay, um, but when you start getting into the aluminum, it starts taking in on an, uh, a, a real ad advantage for the aluminum in the sense that as we move from concentric, which means you're just the perfectly round conductors or strands, I should say, to now you get a deformation because of compression and you lose some of those openings. And obviously, if you take away those openings, you're going to have a smaller conductor. Still not going to be as small as this counterpart in copper, but it gets smaller. Now, move to what we have. Most of the manufacturers, we produce what's called compact aluminum. Now, compact aluminum, if you were to do a cross-sectional cut of a compact conductor, literally, you see no voids in there. Okay, There's interstices. You don't see any of those. Okay, there's absolutely, It looks like a solid conductor because it's been compressed all the way down into a compacted form. Okay, And 
It looks like a solid conductor, although they're usually formed like trapezoids, and they all interlock, really, and so it still moves, and it creates an aluminum conductor that is very ductile. Now, why is it a little more ductile, let's say, than its copper? Well, copper tend to have the strands that remain the same, and they are rounded, so there is an aspect of where the insulation actually gets into each one of the grooves around the stranding and so it creates surface tension so as you bend it because of the way the stranding goes it, it kind of can add some of that tension in there well when you've got a compact aluminum conductor it's totally smooth between the conductive medium and the outside insulation so it allows that conductor to flex and slide back and forth inside that insulation so it does have a great bending application to it Okay, it is very flexible. Um, so if you have to look at some of the other benefits, and again, I'm not steering you towards aluminum being better. Again, if I want a smaller conductor, but I want a higher ampacity, then I'm going to go with copper. But let's look at some of the differences. And again, you have to make your decision. Okay, now, obviously for the 60 amperes at 75 degrees C, I've got an 8 in copper and a 6 in aluminum. Now, since I can have what's called compact aluminum, then the size differences start to diminish, which means that for a lot of engineers who have run copper for years and cost becomes an issue, maybe it's a value engineering project, then because I'm using compact aluminum, I might be able to get that same aluminum conductor. Yes, it's a little larger, but I may be able to get that actually in the same existing raceway that I had the copper in because the footprint is much smaller. So let's kind of look at that, though, as far as the aspects. All right, now, per 1,000 feet, 8,000 series aluminum. Again, we're going we're gonna to talk about the conductor sizing that we're dealing with. Again, 6 versus the 8. Um, 1,000 feet of 6-gauge aluminum weighs 39 pounds. 1,000 feet of 8-gauge Again, smaller diameter of a conductor uh, is weighs 65 pounds. So literally, for the same ampacity value, it is half the weight. So for many vertical run applications, aluminum can be half the weight. Now you do this, that's per thousand feet. It can really add up. Okay. Now, you start getting into much larger conductors, you'll really start to see a difference per foot. And of course, if we're running raceways and there's a four-wire, three-phase, wire, whatever, and I've got a, a, a black, red, blue, and I've got, you know, an equipment ground or maybe a neutral, you know, per foot, that can start to add up as the conductors get larger, where aluminum is basically going to be half the weight. Okay, so those are things to consider, and it might even get up to be as, uh, even more than half the weight, depending on what you're dealing with. Now, let's talk about the nominal diameter for a second and show you a benefit here. Where the 6 is larger than the 8, basically we understand how American wire gauge goes, um, the number gets larger, Okay, the conductor gets bigger. Like a 4 gauge is bigger than a 6, a 6 is larger than an 8, you know, whatnot. Well, the nominal diameter, if we're comparing these two, is a 6 gauge is 0.26 inches, and the copper is 0.23 inches. Well, that's a, the nominal diameter. There's not a whole lot of difference between the copper and the aluminum when it comes to the ampacity value. Both are going to carry 60 amperes, okay? So you can see there is a benefit to going with what we call a compact, okay, a compact aluminum, all right? Now, 
Uh, one way to also check that if you're ever interested in it, in it is go to the uh, National Electrical Code and go to Chapter 9, Table 5A, and you get to see the difference between the compact aluminum and then you go over into the normals of the um, Chapter 9, Table 5, and you get to see all of the regular conductors, okay? And you can kind of see how similar they are when you're dealing with the compact aluminum. Of course, that table also, that's 5A, also deals with compact copper, but very few companies really make compact copper because it really doesn't bear any advantage, really. It, it really doesn't. Yeah, yes, it will bear advantage in raceway fill, but again, it's it's negligible. Okay, the real advantage is if I want to use aluminum to use compact, all right? Because a, copper is already smaller anyway, all right? Um, so, and then let's talk about maximum pulling tension. Uh, when you're dealing with maximum pulling tension, for example, uh, the six gauge, because it is larger, actually has a 157 pounds of pulling tension for that single conductor, whereas the eight copper has 132 pounds of pulling tension. So one of the benefits is if I'm running vertically, I have a lighter product with a greater maximum pulling tension. So there's a lot of stuff that the design people have to take into consideration. Now, I do a lot of pull calculations for folks, um, privately as well as for the company that I work for. And... There's a lot of variables that go into this, okay? The size of the raceway, the weight of the conductors, uh, the number of bends, the angle of the pulls, where the, the tugger is located versus where the reels are located, how much incoming tension is on the reels uh, to get that reel spin in, all that kind of stuff comes into consideration. But one of the key factors that we have to understand is weight. Uh, and again, aluminum conductors weigh a lot less. Now, if, the, if you're dealing an application that's purely horizontal, then it might not be as big an issue, even though we do know that gravitationally, the weight bearing down on the coefficient of friction in the raceway can play a role, but obviously not nearly as much if you don't have a bunch of bends involved, okay? And so all those kind of things that we have to, to take into consideration, okay? Now, let's talk about the differences cost-wise. Obviously, we know copper is more expensive than aluminum. It is what it is. Um, copper uh, is kind of one of those things where we talk about it is still semi-precious type of metal, I guess. Uh, if you ever go and try to to go and do some recycling, you realize that you're going to get quite a bit more for, for copper, and very few people will recycle aluminum. But, um, again, uh, copper is uh, more commonly used in the building wire than aluminum, except in the applications of service conductors and feeder conductors, uh, where weight is an issue, um, a lot of people scared to use the aluminum. I know that there was one city in Waxahachie, Texas, that I, when I was with NEMA, I had to fly in and convince that city to use aluminum conductors for their service and feeder application. And it all started because you had a Baylor University or hospital, like a Baylor hospital, I guess, that really was over budget and they needed to find ways to save money. And so aluminum was one of the offerings, and that could have saved them over a million dollars. And so they didn't want to use aluminum because they just, the city wouldn't let them use it. The hospital was okay with it. I mean, it's their hospital. They were fine with it. But the city just didn't understand. So I flew in and did a presentation to the city and, and the commissioner, the building commissioner and, and the city inspectors, as well as the, the board of directors and the city chamber i guess the mayor whoever they were all there and after a while they all kind of saw the light and they said whoa 
I guess it is all about following the rules, understanding how to terminate it, understanding what you're dealing with, how to size it properly, how to treat the terminations. Once they got it, it was a no-brainer. Uh, again, the National Electrical Code is a minimum safety standard. If it's in the National Electrical Code, it's a minimum safety standard. Um, so most of the issues that we ever had with these really dealt with the fact that it wasn't terminated right or people didn't understand ampacity values properly and didn't know how to adjust for the ampacities. That's really what we were dealing with. Okay. Now, it is true that a copper conductor is a better conductive material than aluminum. That, that is true. But when we're talking about the adequacies of being able to carry the current efficiently, effectively, and economically, then we only start to look at the comparison and say, well, I'll have some applications where copper, like for brand circuit, it, it's really uh, what you're going to use for the 14 gauge, 12 gauge, 10 gauge applications. That's really what you're going to use. Um, and when you start getting into the feeders, larger stuff, uh, service conductors, things like that, then you see a lot of people saying, well, you know what? Um, aluminum is a viable alternative. So they both have their place in the industry. Um, maybe weight's an issue. Okay, maybe you have a long a pull. Uh, maybe you have raceway restrictions. Maybe copper's the way you go. Again, you have to choose what you want to do. There are advantages of taking the advantage of the copper's high conductivity uh, and getting more ampacity for the size, if you will. The sacrifice is the added weight. But that is an application where many engineers are just dead set on copper being their only option. Um, copper is also used a lot in power distribution, power generation. Uh, and again, it's a standby. Copper has been used for years. Uh, and uh, it carries a larger amount of current. When paralleling, sometimes old conductors can be smaller because of the amount of current that the copper can carry as opposed to what the aluminum. Okay, I might get away with 500 KC mills paralleled, whereas if I go to aluminum, I end up in 750s, and that's a much bigger beast to deal with. Okay, and uh, so you have to look at your need. Okay, but I would say don't stigmatize aluminum based on what you've heard in the past. Okay, it's not necessary to do that. The, they both have their place in the industry. Now, the weight and the cost savings, again, utilities love using the aluminum for overhead transmission lines. Uh, again, the low weight uh, properties can be important when we're dealing in, in some other industries like uh, aircraft and automobile industry, those type of things. Um, but at the end of the day, there's even some applications where people use what's called copper clad aluminum. Okay, uh, And it's basically still aluminum. It's going to have to be calculated as far as ampacity, the same as aluminum, but it has this molecularly bonded, and that's easy for me to say, right? Molecularly bonded amount of copper that's placed onto the aluminum. It's still an aluminum product. It's still AA8000 aluminum, but it has this facade, if you will, of copper, which helps in their terminations uh, and things like that, but you still have to treat it as aluminum. Now, they're actively trying to change that, and they may be successful at some point. But at the end of the day, it is still aluminum. Now, a lot of the people that will argue, and again, they might have a valid point, that since mainly in the AC applications, the current travels on the outer shell of the copper conductor, so therefore putting the aluminum center core and having a copper uh, molecularly bonded 
covering to it or actually sheathing to it, if you will, of the aluminum conductor. I shouldn't say sheathing. Uh, it's actually the, the outer perimeter. That's where the current's going to travel anyway. So the inner core is wasted. So, you know, that might be the argument for the copper clad aluminum folks. Uh, but it's going to be hard to crack that nut because we know that in many cases you can use that same product for an AC or DC application. And in a DC application, the majority of the current travels at the core of the copper conductor. Uh, but anyway, that's just things to think about. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, copper clad aluminum is an aluminum product with a copper facade, a cladding, a covering, okay, if you will, okay? Um, so uh, there are distinct advantages to both. Um, if I've got a long pull, then I'm, and, and I got a lot of bins, uh, then aluminum might be the way to go. One, because it, it, it doesn't have, if you use compact aluminum, then it doesn't have that surface tension restriction on the actual between the conductive medium and the insulation. So it bends nicely uh, around uh, bends and it has less chance of sidewall damage. Um, and it's lighter weight and it's less stress on the tugger. Um, and vertically it's lighter. Uh, but then again, when you need the smallest conductors possible, uh, for the most impacity that you need, then you and you're paralleling, for example, then you might go with copper. Uh, if if weight is not a concern, then you you go with copper. Um, so every one of them has their place, and there are some people that just love copper. Okay, and 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 I'm either here or there. I'm like whatever you need for the need. Just weigh the differences. Okay. Now, when we talk about terminations and connections, this is where the biggest topic comes up. Because you have terminations in electrical equipment that say AL7CU, uh, AL9CU, um, uh, AL terminations or CU terminations. If you saw CU, then you can only use copper. Uh, if you see AL, then you can use only aluminum. Uh, that's very rare to be aluminum only. Um, most of the time you'll see them say ALCU. Uh, or you might even see AL6CU. Uh, the 6 and the 7 determines the rating of the terminal, whether it's 75 degree or 60 degree or 90 degree. That's what the numbering means. Um, if you don't have that numbering, then you just follow the predominance of 110.14C, which is going to be based on conductor size, uh, if it's not marked, uh, and things like that. Um, again, if you're not familiar with the terminal limitations and things like that, for adjustment and corrections and what have you, then this is a shameless plug for you to go watch my derating demystified video that's on our website because I kind of do cover it in extreme detail, probably detail that's at nausea, okay, when I'm dealing with 110.14C1A or C1B, depending on whether it's 60 degree versus 75 degree rated terminals, okay, uh, but just remember. That if it's AL7CU, then that's a 75 degree rated terminal and it will accept both copper or aluminum conductors, either or. Now, when it comes to that, people ask me all the time, um, do I have to apply antioxidation compound or oxide oxidation inhibitor to that application? What I tell people is this. There's absolutely nothing in the National Electrical Code that requires it to be applied to an aluminum conductor unless the manufacturer tells you to do so. And that would be part of 1103B, and that would be part of the equipment's uh, listing and labeling requirements. Um, when the panel board, for example, under UL67 gets evaluated for that listing, 
the instructions that go with it also get evaluated. Now that panel board is the guts. It gets placed in an enclosure and it all gets evaluated together. Um, if they require you to use an antioxidant inhibitor or a uh, oxidation inhibitor or whatnot, paste or whatever, then they're going to tell you that. But when they don't, they're usually going to tell you based on the lug. If it was a CU only lug, then it's copper only. If it's an AL only lug, very rare again, that's usually going to be 6,000 series aluminum, a little different, um, it, whatever it would be, uh, because even 6,000 series aluminum will have a zinc coating on them and they can be used for, for aluminum or copper. So again, that's a little different story, but don't get lost in that. Just go by the lugs rating. If it's an aluminum ALCU, follow your rules based on 75 or 60 degree to based on the conductor size you're dealing with or the temperature rating of the conductor or whatever that is uh, and apply the conductor to use on that terminal. Now, you're going to need to torque it properly. Now, if you're in the 2017 code, you're going to use a calibrated torquing tool. In the 2020 code, you're not going to have to be, technically, it doesn't have to be calibrated. You still got to use some type of torquing tool, but it, it's torqued in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions, which is what we've always required anyway in 110.3b. Okay. But we had to have the advent of 110.14d in order to kind of bring this, this issue to a head in the last two code cycles to make people understand that torquing is important, even though it was always there. Now we know it's important, and it is very important when it comes, it comes to the reliability of that termination. Very important. If you under-torque it, you have a loose connection. When load gets placed on that system, and it's trying to move through these conductors, these circuit conductors, then what happens, you could create an arc because current's moving from one conductive medium to the other. It's not making good connection. Then we have what's I squared R. We'll have what's called an arcing condition, which generates heat, okay? And that heat generation, okay, which is the current squared times the resistance, creates a hot spot and, and slowly it rises and then you could have a breakdown of the system. Obviously, the worst case scenario is it creates a fire if you're not torqued properly. Now, if I over-torque it because I simply don't know what I'm doing and I'm not following the manufacturer's instructions on the torquing process, then what happens is I molecularly break down that conductive medium. Now, when we talk about aluminum and copper having a very, the 8000 series aluminum, have a very similar uh, creep, if you will, the movement, which is a thermal expansion contraction based on the load and the heat that comes from this, this cycling of the circuit, what happens is you do create potential gaps in there. Now, if you over torque it, you compress this material, which is going to try to expand back to a solid, its, its normal state. Now, obviously, it's not going to go all the way back to what it was before you crushed it, if you will. But what happens is that termination can loosen up and you create that gap. And you don't have a full return of that compressed material. and But you do have the lugging, which could come loose. Uh, and what happens is due to, again, the thermal expansion and contraction while load cycling goes on, again, way more than we want to talk about in this, this podcast. But what happens is it creates a gap in there as well. So you have this effect that can happen. And then what happens? The current tries to flow. You've crushed this conductor well more than the what the terminal ratings would have been for this uh, torquing. And now you create an arc and you have the same effect. Okay, this heat buildup based on the I squared R theory. And what happens is you can have a fire. Okay, Now, 
Um, all this can be identified with a thermal, and you see these on the internet. You can, you can Google it all you want. You will see that you have these thermal guns. FLIR makes them, a bunch of them, and you can see where terminations have hot spots. And that's usually a result of a poor termination, either it's too loose or too torqued to where it damaged the actual conductive material. So it is very important. It didn't, again, it doesn't matter whether it's copper or aluminum. Torquing is very much uh, a universal thing that has to take place to both. So we're ruling that out, okay? You have to torque it. Now, of course, you have to make sure when you're dealing with a lug that you actually have a lug that is rated for the conductor you're using, okay? And you can get that from the lug manufacturers if it's not with the equipment. Uh, again, talking with many of these lug manufacturers, if the lug is rated for 4-out aluminum, for example, then it can theoretically handle the 4-out concentric, compressed, or compact. It really doesn't matter. If it is a lug that's designed purely for compact and only compact, then it will tell you that. But generally, they're pretty universal. Now, you can reach out and ask them if you want. Uh, my opinion on it is if you expect it to be anything other than that because of the ability to have all these types of, of stranding and compaction and compression, uh, then you need to tell me and shame on you for the manufacturers if you don't tell me that. Okay, so that's the theory and based on my years of working with NEMA and asking different representatives of the terminal manufacturers, that's their concept. Now, that is not the same when we're dealing with a high strand count where you have a very flexible, like a TFF or TFN, fine flexible stranding, which typically is going to be copper anyway, then you're going to have some special terminals and that is going to be indicative of making those type of stranding because what you don't want to do is break these strands and effectively reduce the current carrying capacity of that conductor due to damaging of the strands okay and again if it's using a fine flexible type of conductor usually you found these a lot in cords and cables uh, but it's not mutually exclusive to that it could be used in some photovoltaic applications or maybe like most famously in a DL DLO application with diesel locomotive uh, application, whatever it might be, you have these higher strand count applications, then you need to find a terminal that can handle that strand count. But when we're talking normal class B, class C type of stranding, the normal building wire stranding, uh, then you're just looking for a terminal uh, that is rated ALCU uh, or CU only or AL7CU or AL6CU. Uh, just remember if it was AL6CU, then you're stuck at the 60. Okay, now I can still use the 90 or 75 for adjustment of corrections, but I'm very much stuck in the 60 degree column when it comes to ampacities. Okay, again, if you don't know any of that, go watch our video on derating demystified. So it's very much about the terminal. Now let's talk about um, the concept that people get confused when it comes to, again, I kind of went off of the point, but antioxidant compound. It is not required unless they tell you. Now the National Electrical Code in 110.14 tells me that if I want to use this compound, that I can do so. Uh, as long as it doesn't have a detrimental effect on the conductor, the termination, or the installation. So I am more than happy to use this material if I want. But I have to remember that it can't have an adverse effect. Now, what would be an adverse effect? Well, many years ago, you had this antioxidation material. And it had flex or... I guess it's a componentry in its mixture that was say for copper, it would have copper dust or, or copper um, shavings in it. Uh, it's basically what it was taught to me years ago. Um, and so you had 
an antioxidation compound that was specifically designed for copper use, and you had one that was specifically designed for aluminum use. And you didn't want to intermix those because it was a, a kind of a uh, dissimilar metal approach. Um, now, I think most of them today are universal, but I just want to caution you to make sure you read the antioxidation compound if you choose to use it that you're using the right kind. And many of them today are interchangeable and, it'll, and really it won't, it'll say that it's okay for both copper or aluminum. Okay. So I just want to throw that out there. But years, excuse me, years ago, that was the mentality, if you will. Um, so it can have a detrimental effect. Now, if the manufacturer requires it in their literature, in their, their listing, the paperwork is part of the listing that they submit with that product to be evaluated, uh, then at the end of the day, then you're going to use it. Okay. Now, do I encourage the use of an antioxidation compound on aluminum? Absolutely. Um, do I encourage its use on copper? Um, well, some people are going to hate this, but I actually do. I personally say that the reliability of the termination is important. And when I walk away from a job, I want to make sure that I'm not called back for something that's in question. Now, I can argue the fact that, um, you know, I, I did something and somebody says I did it wrong and I can show them I did it right. But if I torque it right, doesn't matter whether it's copper or aluminum, if I torque it right and I apply antioxidation compound or oxide inhibitor, to both copper terminations in switchgear, in panels, and things like that, uh, because I already know I'm not going to use the aluminum on brand circuits anyway, so it's moot. Uh, I'm really talking about those volatile terminations for the feeders and service conductors. Again, that's me. That's not telling you that's what the code says. Um, but I do know that oxidation takes place on both copper and aluminum. Okay, I know that the aluminum oxidation is easier to break down than the copper oxidation. Uh, I do know that the Aluminum Association recommends that when you make a termination for aluminum, that you take a brass brush or whatever and try to break off the oxidation because aluminum oxidizes very quickly. And you break that down, you simply shine it up, if you will. We like to say shine it up, emery board it, or you just take a brass brush and, and shine it up and then make the termination. Now, if you don't want to use an antioxidation compound on that termination, that's fine as long as the instructions for that piece of equipment say you don't have to. Because when you torque it properly, you're going to make a connection between the conductive material that is not going to corrode or create oxidation because of that intimate contact. Okay, and if you torque it right, that intimate contact is going to remain the same. And that's the same for copper. However, being that we know that people don't always follow the rules and we don't know well, somebody might come in later, um, it doesn't hurt to apply the paste or the compound. Um, so the Aluminum Association recommend it. We as a, I work for a wire and cable manufacturer and we recommend it for aluminum. Because we recommend it does not mean that if you don't do it to our conductors that you're violating some kind of listing. You're not. We're just making a recommendation. You bought the wire. You do what you want with it. Okay. But if I buy a disconnect, let's say, and I buy it from a manufacturer, say it's a Menards disconnect, and I buy it, and inside the legend on the panel, the label says, when used with aluminum conductors, apply an antioxidant compound, then that is a reference from the manufacturer. It's in the listing. I've got to do it if I'm using aluminum conductors. Uh, and most panel boards, you're not going to see that because they don't test it with this compound on there. They test it without the compound, okay? Uh, so just kind of good things to let you know about it. Um, 
Use it if you want. The code supports you using it. Doesn't code doesn't require you to use it. Okay, but um, again, for me, I keep it simple. I tell people that if you've got it and it's a neutral antioxidant compound, it can be used on copper or aluminum. I recommend you use it for all copper terminations and all aluminum terminations with the feeder and the um, when you're dealing with feeder or service connectors. That's just me. Now, there's people out there that say, well, Paul, that's hypocritical. Why don't you acquire it for all the branch circuits? Because I don't. I, I just don't. Um, I don't see the issue. Um, but I want to make sure that you do torque it all right. Now, if you're one of those guys that do want to use it on every termination you make, you just want to dip the copper end in or you want to dip whatever you want. To, you're not going to be wrong. The code allows you to, okay, if you want to use it. It's just remember that, that 110.14 doesn't require me to do it. 110.3b might require me to do it if the piece of equipment calls for it. Remember, the manufacturers of copper and aluminum wire don't mandate you do it. We might make a recommendation supporting the Aluminum Association. Okay, The copper development doesn't require it. And sometimes they'll say, well, that's an advantage using us over aluminum. You don't have to do it. Well, you don't have to do it for aluminum either. Unless the manufacturer tells you. And when I say manufacturer, again, I don't mean the wire and cable manufacturer. We might make a recommendation, but that's not, you bought the wire. That's on you. Okay. For example, we also make a recommendation that you follow 31050B16 of the ampacity values for the wire that we make. That doesn't stop an engineer from doing an engineering uh, design specification where they might think a conductor can handle more current. Okay, they put it through some kind of software and do that. That's fine. That's on them. They're taking responsibility for that. But we're not. As a manufacturer, we're telling you we're going to follow the minimum safety standard. We're going to follow the NEC. That's what we recommend. What you do with it after you buy it, totally on you. Just don't look to have any warranty support if you don't. If you do something other than what we recommend, that's all. Okay, but we're not going to recommend you do anything that's not going to be founded in some kind of standard or sometime something that's in the code. We'll recommend you use the uh, antioxidant compound. In many cases, I recommend it again on both copper and aluminum. Uh, you do the choice. Okay, I just want to make sure I cover that. All right, well, you know that's it uh, when it comes to that. Um, only other thing that I will throw out there for you so that people understand is that uh, aluminum is 61% of the conductivity of copper, okay? But it is only 30% of the weight of copper. So a third of the weight, okay? But it's two-thirds of the conductivity of copper. And again, all that has to do with the fact that the outer valence shell of the copper or aluminum atom has a certain number of electrons. And there, when you apply voltage to it, it moves those electrons. They get erratic. Okay, And I don't want to go into a basic theory class, but reality is the reason that copper is a better conductor is because it only has one electron in the outer valence shell that can throw that, that actual copper atom into whether it's conductive or it's a positive or negatively charged. And so when you lose that electron, it immediately wants to go back into balanced, stable condition. So it attracts another electron that was cast off by another copper uh, uh, atom that was near it. So that's a constant, that, that constant reaction that takes place creates electricity, okay? Keep it simple. Um, whereas in aluminum, 
you have three electrons in the outer valence shell. It takes a lot more pressure to move those electrons out of that orbit. And so, it, obviously, if I only have to move one electron, copper is going, to, in order to get this started, it's going to be a more efficient conductor than aluminum. So how do we compensate for that? Well, again, we have to go to a larger conductor with aluminum in order to be able to have the same level of ampacity that can be carried. Uh, and so that's what we, again, a lot of people say a rule of thumb is the aluminum is two sizes larger than copper. I mean, that's general rule of thumb. Uh, in our example, we use six versus eight. Well, that's true then, because the six, you have a seven, which nobody really ever uses, is in between eight. So it's basically two sizes larger than the, than the eight. So six is two sizes larger than the eight. Okay, um, so that kind of holds true for that scenario, all right? But as you've seen, the advent of compact aluminum helps reduce that footprint, okay? So it makes it a more valuable, uh, um, uh, viable choice in today's industry if you're looking for some of the advantages of aluminum. Uh, remember that, again, the creep and expansion and contraction is very similar, very similar, uh, some would want to argue that they're not, but again, in most of the testing, if you torque it right, they are very similar. There's a lot of free data that's out there on the internet um, that shows that the key is torquing it properly. Uh, when you make a proper torque, whether it's copper or aluminum, you're making that intimate. You're, you're basically, I should say, you're basically crushing, that's a bad choice of words, you're basically crushing that terminal equally on all contact points that, that has a less chance of coming loose. You're not overstressing the termination uh, and it's going to move freely as the same rate of expansion and contraction between the terminal and the conductive medium are very similar. Uh, and in doing so, um, you're going to have less chance of gapping and less chance of heat elevation coming from this I squared R condition where heat grows over time you're just going to have a safer installation. So that's why torquing is so important to understand how to do it. Torque screwdrivers, torque wrenches are cheap today, okay? And their plus or minus accuracy is great, okay? So if you don't have one, what are you doing? Go out and get one. All right, guys, that's kind of the, the talk. Hopefully I covered uh, the good aspects um, again, back in the late 60s to early 70s, people freaked out about the aluminum because it was 8, 8, 1350 series. We have changed. We have moved forward. 8000 series is what you're going to see in buildings. Yes, you can use it for feeders. Yes, you can use it for service conductors. Theoretically, in the code, you could use it for branch circuits, the aluminum, but nobody does. Although, if you go read the code, you'll see that it's perfectly permitted to do so uh, in the code. But again, nobody makes it. I guess it's still stigmatized that nobody wants to do it. All right. The only one that comes close to doing that is copper clad aluminum, where they are using the smaller aluminum conductors, but they're putting an outer shell, if you will, uh, a cladding of copper. And again, many people argue that current AC current travels on the outer perimeter, called skin effect. Whereas on DC, it travels in the core. So some people argue that really we only need copper on that outer perimeter anyway. Here, I'm not, to, I'm not building a case for copper clad aluminum by any means uh, because to me, it's still aluminum. And so the ampacity is very much based in the aluminum. Um, but you, you do understand that everything has, has its benefits. And depending on your condition of use, 
That's how you deal with the benefits. So hopefully you got something out of today. We got rid of this stigma, stigmatized thought of the use of aluminum. Uh, I'm a copper guy. I love copper. Uh, I love how it's run. I love the weight of it. I love the ampacity value. But I tell you what, there are many applications where compact aluminum, I don't really have a need for compact copper. I got a need for the compact aluminum in order to reduce my raceway fill because, again, if you know anything about raceway fill, it's all about the size of the conductor that affects my raceway fill when I'm filling up that area. Okay, so we have to think about the area, square inches. All right. So anyway, hopefully you got something out of it uh, and learned something new uh, and have a kind of a newfound understanding of copper and aluminum. Uh, again. Copper, brand circuits, all the way. Healthcare facilities, you're going to be stuck in patient care areas of just using copper. There's a lot of applications which we're going to mandate the use of just copper. Traditionally, what we've done. But if you need a lighter, flexible uh, application, and you don't have to go too big of conductors where paralleling would cause you a problem, uh, if you're paralleling, you're probably going to stay towards the copper side. Um, but if you want to go something and you need the flexibility and the lightweight and you're not dealing with paralleling, you know, the aluminum might be your answer. So again, they all have their benefits. And again, I'm more than happy to answer any questions that you might have um, on the aluminum versus copper and the benefits even in more detail. Uh, again, there's some HVAC equipment. There's some motors that say you can only use copper to it. Okay, well, then you can only use copper. So there's still some applications where copper is going to be king Okay, you just got to know the limitations. So I'm here to help you if you need me. So email me at info, I-N-F-O, at masterthenec.com or info at electricalcodeacademy.com. If you're looking to learn more about the National Electrical Code, we have Ultimate Guide to the NEC courses available on our website. Join it. It's a 12-week course. It's so much information you'll learn about the code. It's also great for exam prep. Uh, We almost guarantee you're going to pass the exam after you take this course. It's just so much information that you're going to learn. Um, uh, You can also go to our websites and click the Contact Us button if you want to send an email that way. You can reach out to us that way. Uh, Watch our videos on YouTube uh, and listen to our podcasts. We thank you. You're the reason why we do all this. Uh, I love the thousands of emails that I get and the text messages I get. I'm here for you guys. Whenever you need me, I'm always going to be here for you. Uh, Until next time, folks, stay safe and God bless. Bright. Every day is another beginning.